Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikbat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvatisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Well, let's pray. Abba, we thank you for your presence this morning and your goodness. We pray that your Word would go forth to encourage and build up your people, O God. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. So last week, we heard from a special guest preacher um, from around the 10th century BCE. Who remembers that? Raise your hand. Yes? Okay. And what was his name? Do you remember what his name was? David. Yes. David. And he, what was his occupation? He was a shepherd. Right. And I understand that, uh, I'm sorry I couldn't be here, but he regaled us, I believe, with stories of shepherds past and future, and I'm really sorry I missed it. Um, but, uh, and so we're continuing to read through the gospel, the Besorah of John, readings from the apostolic witness. And we discovered last week that uh, the surprising truth that a shepherd could also be a what? A king. Right? The keeper of sheep, the keeper of lambs, makes an excellent ruler. And if a shepherd is a king, then it follows that the shepherd king also has a kingdom. Amen? And it follows also that the king has those who attend him. He has attendance. He has some sort of council right? That would make sense, right, if you are a king. So the question I would like to, for us to explore today is, what does the attendance of the king look like, and what does that mean for you and for me? So to answer, we have to go back in time. So does anyone have a DeLorean? No, okay, we'll just have to do it in our minds then. We'll go back in time to the era of the scriptures. We have to think like an ancient Israelite, right? We have to put aside our 20th century American mindset. That will not do at all. We have to go back and examine the text with an ancient Near Eastern thought process. So whether you are reading the Hebrew Scriptures, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, or you are reading the Greek Scriptures, the Apostolic Witness, the New Testament, right? Whether you're reading either one, we understand it's all ancient Jewish literature. And it's written in another language during another era. So we got to go back. Bless you, Sandy. We got to go back in time. So today, we're going to re-examine texts that we might be familiar with, but we'll have it a new view. We'll see it with the cultural and religious mindset of the historic Israelite worldview. The best way to understand any text, after all, is what, Wayne? Bless you. The context, right. Okay. So, D. Thomas Lancaster, the leader of a Tikkun congregation in Wisconsin and director of education at First Fruits of Zion, 
or fafaz, as I like to call it, has shared what he calls, you ready for this? The macaroni principle. Ooh. Lancaster shares that many of us know this particular song, Yankee Doodle. If you're not familiar with it, Let's, let's have it. Let's have it out right now. Yankee Doodle went to town riding on a pony, stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni. Hmm. If we were interpreting that song from a 20th century American mindset, we'd be way off. I'm sorry to say. Does this mean that the Yanks were putting pasta in their hats? Is this where the expression, I'll eat my hat, comes from? Was Yankee Doodle having hallucinations and seeing feathers turn into macaroni and cheese? Sounds like a crazy person. Lancaster and his wife were discussing this one day when she decided to look up the context of the word macaroni at that time. Turns out, This is not a term for pasta, but it meant fancy or dandy, all dressed up. And his wife found out more historical context. The Yanks were a ragtag bunch of soldiers against the spiffy, well-dressed British army. So a farmer's daughter put feathers in the hats of the Yanks to give the appearance of looking sharp. So that's why Yankee Doodle put a feather in his cap and called it macaroni. So all of that to say, let's not make a macaroni of the scriptures. Let's try to understand the original mindset and worldview of the writers and the words of the text. I'm sure you were always wondering what that song meant, and so I'm happy to to help you out, but let's apply that to the Holy Scriptures. So what is the context that is helpful to our Parsha in the New Testament this week? First, the Hebrew Scriptures indicate that the Lord, the God of Israel, is a shepherd but also a king. And the king, God, is described as Adonai Tsevaot. Can we say that? Adonai Tsevaot. That means the Lord of hosts. But even that word, kind of removed from that word a little bit. This word hosts, it's, it's like a, it's an old King James word. Does this mean that God is king surrounded by people hosting a party? Is that what that means? Is he the Lord of, of, uh, hosts and hostesses? No. It means he has attendance in the heavens. Those who surround him to fulfill his royal decrees. This is sometimes translated as an angel army, Adonai Tsevaot, or perhaps divine council. These attendants are way below his throne, but they are still in the heavens and they are not human. There are several words in the scriptures used for the spiritual beings that surround the king way below him. And these are, in English, called angels, heavenly beings, holy ones, 
but also the sons of God and simply the word Elohim or sometimes Elim, which we'll come back to that. So, for example, Psalm 89, verses 5 through 8, tells us this. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. Who are the holy ones in Hebrew? Kedoshim. That's the name of our Parsha this week. For in the skies, who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? yud heh vav So there are other beings up there, but none is to be compared to yud heh vav Okay? And these beings are referred to here as Kedoshim, holy ones. Who among the heavenly beings, B'nai Elim or B'nai Elohim, that means literally the sons of the Elohim, is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones. There's that same phrase again. And awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? Have you ever pictured the Lord like this, as a king with lower attendants? In other words, the worldview and original context of the scriptures assumed that the king had heavenly attendants, often called a divine council. This makes sense logically, doesn't it? If you think about it, what kind of king would have no attendance, no one serving him. There's no splendor there. It's just a king and his throne all alone. That's, that's not splendiferous, right? The problem, the textual problem, is that these beings are sometimes referred to as sons of Elohim or simply as Elohim. Most often this word in Scripture, Elohim, is translated as God, referring to the God of Israel, who created the heavens and the earth, who is the exalted king. Now hear me very clearly. There is one God who is the supreme Elohim, with a capital E. But this is an interesting word in Scripture. It's, this is our macaroni here, okay? This word Elohim has a plural ending, but when it... So that, that's the im, right? Anything that ends in im... In, in, uh, in Hebrew is more than one, okay? But when it's used to refer to God, it takes a sim- singular verb, right? So we see this in the very first verse of the scriptures. Bereshit, in the beginning. Bara, he created. Elohim, God, the, 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 the subject comes after in Hebrew. So in the beginning, God, Elohim, created, but the verb is singular. It doesn't say God's created, even though the word is plural. Does that make sense? So Elohim created, the one Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Dr. Michael Heiser, who has an MA and a PhD in Hebrew Bible and ancient Semitic languages from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and is the scholar-in-residence at Faith Life, wrote in his book, Unseen Realm, on the various uses of the word Elohim 
in the Holy Scriptures. So these are the ways that Elohim appears. Number one, of course, it refers to who? God, yud heh vav that is the Lord, Hashem, the God of Israel. And this is thousands of times that this appears. So this is the most common way we see Elohim. It means God, as in the God of Israel, the God of heaven and earth, the God of all creation, God over all nations, King, Lord. Make sense? Okay. But Elohim also is used in other ways. It's used for the members of Yudhei-Vavhei's council in Psalm 82. It's used for gods and goddesses of other nations in Judges 11 and 1 Kings 11. It also refers to the other team, as I like to call them, demons, referred to in this passage in Hebrew also as Shedim, right? So there's some sort of spiritual being that has the, the, this word Elohim, but only as a plural. The deceased Samuel in 1 Samuel 28 is referred to as an Elohim. And uh, if you need the context for that, it's Saul is uh, the, the king. And at this point, he's lost, you know, his, his kingship and he's really struggling and the kingdom is, is, is really struggling and he really needs to hear from God and he can't hear from God and because he's turned away from the Lord. And he goes to this woman that can speak to spirits and even though he's so he goes disguised because he's prohibited this by law. And, uh, and she's like, oh, no, I'm going to get in trouble with King Saul. And he's like, oh, actually, I'm King Saul. Just, you know, just, just bring up Samuel for me because I need, I need to know what to do. I don't know what to do. Samuel's dead. And she brings up Samuel in this story, and she says, I see an Elohim. So this is just one category that this word is used for. In the Hebrew scriptures, this is their mindset. This is how they described this idea. And finally, Elohim refers to angels or the angel of the Lord in Genesis 35, 7, depending on how you, how you read that. Okay? In other words, when Elohim or Elim is plural, it refers to spiritual beings. It's a category, right? When Elohim is singular, it refers to who? To God. Who is the Elohim with a capital E above all the lesser Elohim, all the lesser spiritual beings. Now, if you've been following along patiently, I'm sure you're starting to wonder what this has to do with our new covenant reading in John 10. So let's take a look at some excerpts and apply this worldview to the new covenant. Are you with me? All right. Starting in verse 14 of John 10. This is Yeshua speaking. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not from this fold. Those also I must lead and they will listen to my voice, so there shall be one flock, one shepherd. 
Verse 22, then came Hanukkah. It was winter in Jerusalem. Yeshua was walking in the temple around Solomon's colonnade. Then the Judean leaders surrounded him, saying, How long will you hold us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us outright. Yeshua answered them, I told you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify concerning me, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep... This should be familiar to you. What does it say? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's the verse of the year for our congregation. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Controversial stuff. Again, the Judean leaders picked up stones to stone him. Yeshua answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? Judean leaders answered, We aren't going to stone you for good work, but for blasphemy. Though you are a man, you make yourself God. Yeshua answered them, Isn't it written in your writings? I have said... You are gods. And in the Hebrew it says, I have said, you are Elohim. If he called them gods, Elohim, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, the one the Father set apart and sent into the world, you speak blasphemy because I said, I am Ben Elohim, a son of God or the son of God or the son of Elohim? It's a lot of ways that could be translated. If I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do, even if you don't trust me, trust the deeds. Then you may come to know and continue to understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Therefore, they tried to capture him again, but he escaped from their hand. So what does, what does Yeshua mean when he quotes from this, from this psalm? I have said, you are Elohim. Does he mean that all of his listeners who were also, were also just like Elohim, that is that the humans are on the same level as the Elohim? Is that what it means? So it's, it's no big deal if Yeshua compares himself to Elohim because, you know, we're all Elohim, right? Or if he's claiming equality with God, is that what he's saying? That doesn't make any sense. That's not logical. If so they probably wouldn't have been so upset. But they were upset, right? They tried to stone him. They tried to capture him. And we know humans are not Elohim. And Elohim, the divine counsel, are not human. So any human comparing himself to Elohim would have to be super exceptional, which, of course, Yeshua is. They were upset because they knew he was claiming to be one with the Father and that the word Elohim in context referred to the host of heaven, the spiritual beings, the angels, the divine counsel. He was comparing himself with those Elohim and claiming to be equal to or even above the divine counsel. If there is an angel army 
Every army needs what? A commander-in-chief. Angels, the word angels in Hebrew just means messenger, right? Every messenger needs a what? Needs a message. So the messengers are subservient to the message. You catch that? The word that the messengers, the angels, are delivering is higher than the angels. This is the same idea as the first chapter of Hebrews, which compares the Son, Yeshua, to the ministering Elohim, the angels underneath and surrounding God's throne. And this is what it says. Keep the same Hebrew mindset. At many times and in many ways, God spoke long ago to the fathers through the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us through a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he created the universe. The Son is the radiance of his glory and the imprint of his being, upholding all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Thus he became far, far above the what? The angels. As the name he has inherited, what name is that? Yudhe is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? And here, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from the Psalms again. And again, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And regarding the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants a flame of fire. But regarding the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And a scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And... In the beginning, Adonai, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They shall pass away, but you remain, and they will all wear out like clothing. And like a robe, you will roll them up, and like clothing, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years shall never end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all just ministering spirits sent out for service to those about to inherit salvation. You know, Yeshua himself also quotes a psalm when he says, I have said you are Elohim in John 10. There's a psalm that he's quoting, and it's Psalm 82. So here's the whole thing. Elohim, who's this Elohim? God, stands in the divine assembly. There with the Elohim. The Elohim is with the lower Elohim. 
with the Elohim, he judges. How long will you go on judging unfairly, favoring the wicked? Give justice to the weak and fatherless. Uphold the rights of the wretched and poor. Rescue the destitute and needy. Deliver them from the power of the wicked. They don't know. They don't understand. They wander about in darkness. Meanwhile, all the foundations of the earth are being undermined. My decree is, and this is what Yeshua quotes, you are Elohim. Sons of the Most High, all of you, nevertheless, you will die like mortals, like humans. Like any prince, you will fall. Rise up, Elohim, and judge the earth, for all the nations are yours. That could be either one, right? The last one. The divine counsel of the Elohim, the spiritual beings, the angels is in view here. And this is how the writers would have pictured God, surrounded by lesser spiritual beings, lesser Elohim, who are supposed to do his bidding. This psalm shows that apparently some of these spiritual beings did not want to do his bidding, but they rebelled. But that's that's another sermon. Regardless, We can see that by quoting from this psalm, Yeshua is placing himself on par with and above the divine council, the lesser Elohim, the angels. In fact, he's so far above, he is one with the Father, the Elohe of Elohim, the Lord of lords, the God of God's Elohim. So what does this mean for us humans? Where do we fit into this scheme? Where are we compared to this divine counsel? Let's check out Psalm 8. Provides a clue. Adonai, our Lord, how glorious is your name throughout the earth. The fame of your majesty spreads even above the heavens. That means that God is king. From the mouths of babies and infants at the breast, you establish strength because of your foes in order that you might silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals? What is humankind that you concern yourself with them? Humans, you watch over them with such care. You made him a little lower than the angels. And the Hebrew word there is, guess what? It's not messenger. You made him a little lower than the Elohim. You crowned him with glory and honor. You had him rule what your hands made. You put everything under his feet. Sheep and oxen, all of them. Also the animals in the wilds, the birds in the air, the fish in the sea. Whatever passes through the paths of the seas. Adonai, our Lord, how glorious is your name throughout the earth. So which is it? Are humans lower than the Elohim, the heavenly beings? Or or is everything under our feet, including the Elohim? The answer is, in Messiah, they're both true. This is perhaps the most quoted verse 
in the new covenant. Almost always applied to Yeshua the Messiah. And that is the verse where it says, you put all things under his feet. Have you read that before? You've read it in the New Testament too, right? Yeah. Okay. So we see here, we see Yeshua, who was made lower than the Elohim and humbled himself unto death so that he might be raised not just to life, but to the throne of David where everything was under his feet, including the divine council. The angels are Yeshua's footstool. Where are we? Are we lower than the lesser Elohim? Well, of course. We're just human. But in humility, in Messiah, we are seated with him above the Elohim. In humility, we have the authority of Messiah. In his name, those evil spiritual beings, the other team, they have to run away. We have authority over those lesser evil Elohim because the Messiah does. Yeshua has given us his name has authority, in a sense. Because whatever we ask for in his name, God will give to us. As humans, we're, we're just dust. In humility and in Messiah, he has raised us up with him and we are seated with Messiah in the heavenly places. At least according to Ephesians 2, verse 6. In humility, in Messiah, we will judge the angels, at least according to 1 Corinthians 6, 3. Have you ever read that and wondered about that? How would a human judge or rule over an angel? In humility and in Messiah. The extent to which we are humble the extent to which we submit to the king, the extent to which we admit that on our own we can't take our next breath, the extent to which we are raised with the Messiah, not just to resurrection life, but in power. This is the paradox of being human. What is, what is a person, what is a human, Lord, that you are mindful of us? On our own we're nothing. In Messiah, in humility, we shine like the angels. So the question is, to what extent are we willing to be humble before the king? Who among us will proclaim with Moses in Exodus 15, verse 11? Mi chamocha be'elim Adonai. Who is like you Adonai, among the Elim, among the Elohim. Who is like you? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, awesome in praises, and doing wonders? Let's pray. Abba, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you 
that there are there is a context underneath the scriptures that helps us to understand our place. We pray that you would help us to humble ourselves under your mighty throne, that we would be, as it says in Ephesians, somehow in humility, in Messiah, seated with you in the heavenly places. And we thank you for the the authority that you've given us in Messiah, not in our own authority, and not in pride, but in humility, you have given us your name, the name above every name, the highly exalted name and identity, Yeshua the Messiah. Help us to walk in that authority. Help us to walk in humility, and in in humility, help us to walk in authority. (laughs) And... Help us to to know what it is to have a close, intimate relationship with a king who is over all the earth. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.